Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. It's not an environment in which our reporters, frankly, feel safe to share information or talk openly with other folks that they're reporting for. So that, I think, for me, is the bigger concern, and that's what I think about. These are crazy times to be a reporter, depending on Twitter, to find stories, communicate with your sources, and share content. Everything's changing, but maybe that's not such a bad thing. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Zainab Shaw is Director of Engagement and Audience at The City. She held similar positions at Talking Points Memo, The Correspondent, and BuzzFeed. She's here to give us some perspective on all of the changes going on at Twitter and social media in general and what it all means for journalists. Zainab, welcome to It's All Journalism Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. So happy to be here. First of all, tell me a little about yourself. How did you get to be the person that you are in this role that you you are, this focus on social media and engagement, you know, what got you interested in journalism in the first place? So, I mean, I could start way back when I was in high school and published in Lahore in Pakistan and published my first essay in the school magazine, but I'm going to spare you those details. Many a guest (laughs) has gone that far back. A paper they were publishing as a toddler is as far back as we've gone, but (laughs) people have to show their, their journalism cred. But so, Let's jump yeah. ahead then. Let's give me the abbreviated version. Yeah. So I think I'm really fascinated by how the internet works, how people commune in different spaces, whether that's online or offline. And also I'm passionate about understanding what people are interested in consuming when it comes to news as it relates to what's useful to them, what information needs folks might have, and also how good reporting can change the way people think, can really feed the fabric of any society, whether it helps people come together, whether it helps people make better decisions about their lives and better decisions about their communities. You know, voting is one very obvious example, very direct example of that. All the good things about journalism, the things that that people don't always talk about, but, but a lot of the motivators of why some of us have sort of dedicated our lives to it and doing a weekly podcast about it. So for those in the audience who may not be familiar with the city, could you sort of tell me about that publication and, and what its what its mission is, you know, who its audience is? 
I'm at the city. We're a nonprofit newsroom that was founded in 2019 in New York City. We aim to serve the information needs of New Yorkers across the five boroughs with reporting, service journalism, and journalism that really holds powerful institutions and people in New York City accountable. So where does you know engagement come in in this mix for you? You know, what's your role and and how are you trying to engage your audience? Well, I think that gone are the days of print news where, you know, you put out a product and the most you can hear or think about is, OK, we're going to get a letter to the editor and we're going to hear back from a few folks. We have all these tools at our disposal. We publish on the Internet. And with that comes a different way to communicate with and interact with our audiences and the people we're really trying to serve. So one thing I've come to realize and is the perspective that I approach my work from is if we we don't understand what information people are looking for, what their needs are, what questions they have, we can't really fill that gap. And so that's one of the things that I look at my role here at the city as a goal or mission personally for me and my team is one, engagement journalism can help us better understand the people we're trying to serve, what their information needs might be, what they might be searching for at a specific time. And it can really create a two-way street. We put reporting out and someone's like, hey, I saw that story you did, something similar is happening in my backyard, would you investigate this? Or we put a story out and people are like, I want to host a community event and bring people together and really understand if this is happening elsewhere or what more can be done about this issue. So I think that's a big part of engagement and audience, especially for me and my team here at the city. And the one thing that makes it easy, or I shouldn't say easy, or it makes it different from other places is that we have a very specific geographical location, right? And a very specific audience that's defined by New Yorkers, everyday New Yorkers, people who live here, interact with the city, civic-minded, engaged in public life, and really also have to interact with city government institutions in order to go about their day-to-day. And so so that kind of definition really helps us be creative in how we're trying to reach folks. You know, it's funny. You, you think about newspapers like the Washington Post and the New York Times, and often you don't think about them as being local newspapers. You know, every once in a while, they'll do something that's very, you know, New York City focused or you know, it has to do with the Washington, D.C. government. But people have these sort of perceptions that these outlets have a much wider scope. And, you know, it sounds to me like that the city is approaching the city almost from a perspective of like a a local news organization. We're going to address the issues and concerns of the people who live here. And there's plenty to write about in there. And there are plenty of things that aren't being written about. So let's get on that. And that's the type of stuff that interests people, which is why everybody's trying to figure out how can we create a model for, for local news that can sustain. No, I agree with you 100%. And I think there are massive, amazing news organizations that do great work in these cities, but it's really come at a cost to the citizens of the places in which these news organizations operate, I think. Yeah. Before we talk about about Twitter in particular, you know, what's the role of social media, do you think, in, in the newsroom today, like 2022, while we're still in 2022? Yeah, I think it's come to mean for many places that have built these massive audiences, digital audiences, for lack of a better term, on Twitter, for example, it's come to be a place where they can very quickly broadcast out anything that they publish. 
and guarantee that, okay, we've amassed this number of following and these many people are going to see our work. But of course, you know, I think sometimes newsrooms or we tend to forget that it's a very specific and sometimes siloed kind of echo chambery kind of place and group of folks that we keep reaching over and over and over again and checking a box. And by we, I don't mean we at the city, I mean, generally as an industry and checking the box of like, okay, we we got this many page views from referral traffic and these many people read it and this influential person retweeted it and this person that has this many followers talked about it. And so it's become a way for better or worse, I'll say worse, to benchmark success for folks in news. And again, one thing that has come at the detriment of citizens or people who may not be that online that we wish to reach and serve. It's another metric that people can measure that, you know, oh, I've got X number of followers. I'm, you know, I'm verified. So that means I'm an expert. I'm a recognized, you know, so I'm going to get an audience from that. And as long as I've been involved in Twitter and as a journalist and knowing about Twitter is, I mean, adoption by journalists is at a higher percentage than, you know, the general mm-hmm. public. So you may be reaching people, but you may not be reaching the people that you're targeting and you may not be actually getting the engagement that you want to engage. <laughs> like everything in the internet, journalists try to control it and exploit it, but they never quite seem to to do it 100% the best way. Before we turn on the mic, it's one of the things that you mentioned, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, some of the good things about it, you know, Twitter, but social media in general has given people a platform to share information. And you think about how many videos, you know, that people shot on the street that have sparked, you know, huge conversations in not just the newsrooms, but across the country about about things like race and, and violence and, uh, you know, violence in the police without having a phone and without having that broadcast mechanism of social media, you know, the last 10 years have been very different in America and across the world, I would imagine. So, yeah, I I agree with you hundred percent. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was just about to say there were some amazing things about this platform, especially, you know, I think about Wesley Lowry's reporting in 2014 around Ferguson, all the reporting around BLM that happened, the Arab Spring, for example. So it really was a way for reporters who are traditionally left out of, for whatever reason, traditional newsrooms, and were not part of traditional newsrooms, to reach folks who really cared about this reporting that traditional newsrooms were not reaching at all. And so that heyday of Twitter did come and go. It did exist. And for a second there, there was so much more promise that the platform had. And then there started this conversation about traditional newsrooms and how they were failing people. And so there was a kind of shuffle and better hiring practices. And some of those reporters ended up working at the Washington Post and the New York Times. And it became this this kind of pool to source people from also. And so it definitely was instrumental in changing the way reporting is done, in changing the way we define who a reporter is even, right? And like who looks and acts and feels like a reporter and defining who our audiences are that we're reaching and not reaching. And so it definitely contributed and changed and in some ways, in a lot of ways for the better, changed the way that we do things in the industry and the way that we think about reporting and the way we think about our audiences. But I would say, unfortunately, those days are far behind us now. Yeah. Ultimately, it's not just a journalism thing. It's just sort of the the mechanism of, of I guess, our capitalistic societies is that people want to be able to put a meter on something. They want to be able to control it. 
And one of the things that that kind of got shipped away at in, in sort of the original digital disruption was this idea that, you know, the daily newspaper, the your local TV station was going to tell you what the news was. And it really didn't matter what your role in it. Well, your role was pretty well defined. You were just going to follow and, you know, whatever we told you was the truth because, you know, we're the authority and we've, we've looked into this. We may not look like you. We may never come into your communities, but we are, you know, <laughs> we're the news. Yeah. And so once you have these systems like social media come in and open things up and suddenly other people are able to get their voices heard, then that's a pretty cool thing. So here we are <laughs> in, de- in December 2022. What's your thought here about what's happened to Twitter since Elon Musk began asserting his, I guess, control is the word? I think it's unfortunate when a platform falls into the hands of one person, a billionaire or someone, especially like Elon Musk. But even before that, it was... It wasn't like it was a decentralized platform or it was like co-owned or there was like ownership that was distributed or worker owned, for example, like it wasn't like that to begin with. And I think I just want to be mindful of feeling like, you know, it's kind of this doomsday end of the world scenario. And I think the platform has lost a lot of its value for a lot of folks. And, you know, it's kind of instead of going out like in a big bang, potentially going out in a slow burn kind of situation because of the the teams that have been dismantled and fired really have been laid off, which is extremely frustrating to watch and messed up in so many ways. And so without content moderation on the site and without engineering support and security teams, it's only a matter of time before I think, you know, it kind of in bursts and sputters, it changes to the point where we can't really recognize it or completely disappears or becomes irrelevant. I think it's just a matter of time, whether that's going to happen sooner or later. But I think the bigger concern for me is, right, the consideration around safety. And without the safety team, the content moderation team, we are promoting our work there. We are talking to people, engaging with people there. We are, to some extent, our reporters are on there. And so what is our role? What is our responsibility to make sure that the environment in which we are convening folks or communing with folks online is not a toxic environment, is not an environment in which people don't feel safe to share information, to talk openly, is not an environment in which our reporters, frankly, feel safe to share information or talk openly with other folks that they're reporting for. So that, I think, for me, is the bigger concern, and that's what I think about. And that's really, if it reaches a certain level of toxicity, we've had internal discussions about this, we will then decide to leave the platform. But until then, we're going to stay on it. And I should caveat, Twitter is not a massive, like we don't have the kind of reliance on Twitter to meet people the way that other newsrooms might have. We, from the beginning, had a very direct relationship with our communities, direct relationships with our readers. And we always had online distribution tools, but we also meet folks offline. We have the open newsroom. We partner with the public library, and that's really the two places. We make sure we have a plan for meeting folks in in both places. Perhaps for us, it's not like, you know, that's why I'm able to sit here and be like, hey, okay, what, like, you know, it's going to, it's not the first time it's quote unquote, the end of the world. You know, we've been here before in other ways. And that's the thing that's actually kind of surprised me because 
recent weeks and looking at it and I said, this doesn't seem unfamiliar. I can't necessarily point to, yeah, this is like this other thing that failed, but it, you know, it just seems to have sort of that sense to it. I think when it began, there was this idea that, you know, Twitter was like, you know, Mount Rushmore, it was always going to be there, but it never occurred to us that there might be a scenario where, you know, things would change. Which is stupid because, you know, we all put our, you know, so many people put their faith in print and print is going where print is going. And, you know, people lost their jobs and, and newspapers shut down. But we didn't maybe we didn't learn that lesson to put all our our digital hope in, in one platform. I found it really amusing, like early on, how many journalists just like, oh, well, we're just going to get it, pack our things up and we're going to go over here to Mastodon. And the people over mm-hmm. at Mastodon were like, no, 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 we don't want you just posting links. We want you to engage in a conversation here. And it's just like, yeah, same behavior <laughs> we've seen before. So I don't know if it's end days, but I think it's definitely going to be changed. And then it sort of makes you, well, is, does that mean that Facebook's going to become more important? Is Meta going to become more important or... Is there going to be some sort of this is the news platform? You know, maybe like the one the Post is putting up. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's good that people are scattering and going forth and being in multiple places. This should have happened sooner. You know, meet people where they are. Like this, like Twitter is not the only place for people to convene or be online. And I think it's a good thing. I wish it wasn't because like Twitter, quote unquote, is failing. But uh, maybe it shouldn't be in quotes. It is actually failing, but just slower. And it's good. People are going on other platforms and, again, meeting different types of folks, different audiences, different communities where they do already exist or convene. I wish it had happened sooner. I don't think that Facebook is going to be the thing. And I don't know that there's going to be any one clear platform that emerges as the place for news. I do know, and you know, we always had, again, at the city, the strategy that it's really important to have a direct relationship with readers and have a way for them to reach you if you know you have the bandwidth or the resources, whether through it's a texting service or email or voicemail, people can leave you, you know, specific call-outs, meeting people at events at the public library, partnering with other news organizations to host events around reporting that they might have a stronger sense of or seeing where you can contribute to that and keeping that goal in mind that what is it we're trying to do? Are we trying to just amass followers and be online and quote unquote go viral? Or are we actually trying to understand people, what their information needs are? And there's more than one way to skin a chicken, right? How are we going to serve those information needs and how are we going to serve those people, right? I think that Twitter used to be one place that people thought, that's it. This is where we're going to do it. This is where we're going to meet all our followers, our quote unquote community. This is how we're going to reach people. And now people are like, okay, well, maybe there's there's other places. And it's really opening for a lot of people. It's really opening their eyes to their other pathways. And again, for us at the city, we, we like to think of ourselves as an open newsroom And I'm hoping to institute even more pathways for people to reach us and talk to us both online and offline in the coming year. But going back to the direct relationship, there's so many ways you can have a direct relationship with your audience. And like newsletters is one of that. You know, the site is, again, another way. When I was at Talking Points Memo, people just loved coming to the site every day. The referral wasn't even anything of a point. It was just people coming directly to the site. And so... 
I think that's a that's a good way to think about it. I've been really surprised, well, I'm not surprised the word, pleased or interested in in the idea that how newsletters have sort of almost reemerged, that they were something that was kind of early days, it seemed, but now it became more of a tool of marketing. And now it's sort of becoming more of a tool of of the newsroom in the ways it's targeting its audience and disseminating particular type of news to that audience and the immediacy of it. I can see that as, as a, you know, I don't want to say replacement, but as another avenue, we've got an upcoming episode that I did with a, a man who's running like a, almost a one man newsroom in Phoenix that is entirely local news on a newsletter, daily newsletter it's sent out every morning, you know, incredible coverage. I think the point a little bit to news to speak to newsletters is there's an intimacy to it, right? If you have someone's email address and you're in their inbox every day, there's a kind of, it feels like for the person reading, at least it's like a one-on-one connection. Giving someone your email address is already very trusting. Yeah. And I think the analogy that I like to use is like, if you're on a social platform, social media platform, it's a little bit like going to a party. But if you're an email newsletter, it's like opening your door and like letting someone come over. You know, I think there's like that level of of difference. Depending on the cadence of the newsletter, people get used to receiving the same thing at the same time in their inbox versus social platforms can be a little bit chaotic. We're watching this sort of slow decline of Twitter, but, you know, what were we dealing with over the last few years when we think about people who were sort of weaponizing social media, you know, sharing false information or attacking people and, you know, trying to lean on the platforms to do some sort of moderation or, you know, try to help us out. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to us making that decision. If we're going to put our links there, we're going to put our content there. Yeah, it was fraught. It was always a fraught situation, especially for reporters who were using it as a platform to report. They were always doing it often at great risk to themselves and harassment online. Doxing was always an issue that reporters had to deal with. So let's try to get something hopeful out of this. It's kind of like waking up after a really bad party and you suddenly went, you know, like, ah, man, maybe I wasn't behaving as as well as I should have. Maybe I've learned a lesson and, and maybe in the future I'll behave a little differently or I'll, I'll think twice about doing something. Maybe that's what this is. Maybe we're all kind of just having that wake up moment of like, is this the relationship I wanted to be in? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, maybe this isn't good for me. But I mean, for journalists, I mean, here we are again at the end of 2022 and Twitter sort of taking that slide, you know. And you said that the city is having these conversations. What you know? What type of conversations should should journalists be having in the newsroom now? You think? I think we, as an industry, you know, folks across newsrooms in different places should really be thinking about how it is they commune with their readers. What are the touch points? What are the places that they're meeting them on? Are they dependent or over dependent, over reliant on certain platforms? and how to distribute that more evenly so that they're reaching a more a wider group of folks they're reaching folks they don't traditionally or normally reach what would a strategy that serves people in that way look like and i bet you it's going to be not just let's post some links to twitter or like let's be on these platforms it's going to be well what about the people who aren't on twitter what about the people who aren't so super online where do they convene where do they get their information where can we meet them yeah. And I think more newsrooms are doing that. Since you're in New York, I'm sure you probably have heard of Documented New York. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Amazing. They do amazing work. But one of the things they figured out real early on was the people that they needed to reach, you know, the immigrant population, they weren't getting information from, you know, Facebook or Twitter. They were, Mm -hmm. they were getting on WhatsApp. So we've got to figure out a way to engage them there. So again, where's your audience, engage them there, identify them and start talking to them and start listening to them. A hundred percent. I agree. And I really admire the work that Documented does, especially in this arena. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we've solved or at least talked through this Twitter (laughs) problem, the social media. Now, you mentioned Facebook because you don't necessarily think Facebook is going to be the thing. A lot of places still rely on Facebook, although, yes, recently there's a sense that, you know, they're not going to be sharing as much news content as before. So, you know, I think that sort of gives us the nudge that maybe we just take the Twitter app and the Facebook app for phones and figure out a different way to communicate with people. Michael, you have both those apps on your phones? What? What? I'm kidding. Stop it. I'm such a terrible social media person. You know, that's why I have you on my podcast because I'm, I'm no, no authority. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I did. Somebody put them there. It came, the phone came that way. I didn't download them. Anyway, if you had a crystal ball, where do you think we'll be in a year with social media? Where do you think that's a great question? Maybe this dust will have settled a little bit. I mean, Twitter will probably look very different if it's still around, I think. And I think that this will prompt newsrooms to reconsider their outreach strategy, their engagement strategy in a good way, hopefully for the better. And again, find different avenues of reaching people, whether that's direct, whether making sure they have like a texting program, like Outlier Media does a really good job, documented, as you mentioned earlier, does a great job with WhatsApp, how to strengthen that direct relationship with readers and how to connect with folks that we may not have as an industry thought about previously connecting with or as an industry have failed to serve, but consider them our audience or our readers. Zainab, thanks for coming on the podcast. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>